Please turn to me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. The letter of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus. Paul wrote this while he was under house arrest in Rome, and he wrote it to lay a solid doctrinal foundation for these believers <clears throat> so they could then live out those doctrines for the glory of God. What then is the call now that you're saved and have been made new? What's the call? The call is this, to live like a beloved child of God more and more because this is now who you are. <laughs> See, Paul's been very practical for what this should look like in the life of a true believer, and he's also been very challenging. But because we love God so very much, this is what we pursue until we finally arrive in glory. So while we're here, no one's going to be perfect this side of heaven, right? We know that. No one's going to be perfect while we're here this side of heaven. And while we all struggle with sin and while we all battle against sin until we die, look, our aim is clear. Our direction is clear. Our love is clear. Our lifestyle is clear more and more and more. So we fight sin. We battle for the God-honoring life because this is who we are. And love compels us forward. Look what Paul says next in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here in this passage, we see five great truths that we need to constantly be applying to our lives as children of light and as lovers of God. First is this, walk circumspectly. Note how Paul begins verse 15 by saying, see then. The word used here means therefore, and it's a term of conclusion. And so it certainly draws us back to the immediate context to wake up. But it also takes us back to the beginning of this very practical section in chapters 4, verse 1, where Paul implored his readers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then in 417, he went on to say to walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. And then in 5.2, he said to walk in love. And then in 5.8, he said to walk as children of light. So when Paul says, see then that you walk, he's not just taking us back to the preceding verse, but he's taking us back to the theme of a worthy Christian walk, which speaks of a believer's aim, direction, atmosphere, and lifestyle. And here, Paul adds another caution for us as walkers. Walk circumspectly. That's the caution. Walk circumspectly. Circumspectly has the basic meaning of being accurate and exact. Of being careful and of being watchful. It carries with it the idea of looking at, of examining, and of investigating something with great care. It means that you're alert, that you're aware, that you're careful and not careless or casual about things, spiritual things, eternal things. So if you sweep the floor, you make sure that the corners are swept. You're careful about it. If you make your bed, you make sure all the wrinkles are gone. If you wash your hands, you make sure you get underneath your fingernails. See, you're not sloppy. You're, you're not happy-go-lucky. You're, you're not whatever happens, happens. No, no. You're very careful. You're watchful, you're 
attentive to detail. You're diligent and you're alert and you're not caught off guard. Well, the call here is to be like that when it comes to the Christian walk. This clearly tells us that how you walk, that how you live as a Christian is something that's to be taken very seriously with great care and with great watchfulness. Picture a beautiful flower garden that's surrounded by a high wall. To keep intruders out, the owner of the garden placed hundreds of pieces of broken glass into the cement on the top of that wall because that will certainly keep all the intruders out. But then one day the owner looked up and he saw an old cat walking on the top of his wall. How? How did the cat do it? Very carefully, right? The old cat made it all the way to the other end of the wall by carefully placing his feet in between the little bits of broken glass and the cat never cut his paws. That's a good picture of what it means to walk circumspectly in this sinful world. Here's another picture. You're a soldier on patrol in a minefield. How are you going to get across the minefield? Very carefully, right? That's how we must walk as Christians. One said, we must choose our steps carefully because the enemy has strewn the path with dangerous obstacles that will cause us serious harm if we are careless. And he's absolutely right. Because if you're careless about how you walk as a believer, then you're going to step on a mine and you're going to make Satan your enemy very, very happy. Now, we have to walk circumspectly. Because sauntering through the spiritual minefield of this present life won't end well for you. Not if you saunter through it. So, the warning is clear. This is serious stuff. This is very, this isn't a game, right? Eternal things really are at stake here. Question. Why do you think Paul says this to walk circumspectly? Why? Because he needed to. Right? Because too many Christians don't walk circumspectly back then and today. No, they stroll through the spiritual minefield. They get spiritually sloppy. They let things slide. They let seemingly little sins creep into their lives which quickly get out of hand. They let their spiritual guard down. They think they're better and stronger than they really are. They settle into spiritual mediocrity and they aren't really diligent about spiritual things. No, they just go with the flow. But the flow is away from the God-pleasing life. Remember what happened to the Ephesian church? We've seen that a couple of times already. We need to keep reminding ourselves of what happened to them. The church in Ephesus was most likely started by Priscilla and Aquila, a gifted couple that God used greatly for His glory. We would have all loved to have been in a church started by Priscilla and Aquila. Later on, we find that the Apostle Paul came and pastored the church here for a period of three years. Think of Paul being your pastor. After Paul left, Timothy then came and pastored the church for a period of a year and a half. Later on, after that, John was there to pastor the church in Ephesus. Think of that. I mean, what a group. Paul, Timothy, John. I mean, what could be better, and how could this church in Ephesus ever go wrong with a foundation like that? Paul even warned them to be on guard because spiritual wolves were indeed coming, but evidently they weren't careful. 
Soon false teachers arrived, soon sin creeped in, and less than 40 years after the church was started, and 30 years after Paul wrote Ephesians, Jesus said these words to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2 verse 4. You have left your first love. Man, that is absolutely devastating. How does something like that happen? What ha- happens when you don't walk circumspectly, when you're not spiritually alert and awake? See, they weren't careful. They, they didn't guard their lives or their doctrine. They let spiritual things slip that eventually brought them down. They sauntered through the spiritual minefield, and they paid a very high price for it. So this is a warning for all of us, for our church, and for each individual here today. It's a serious warning. In the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, there's a point where the main character named Christian is walking on an extremely narrow road, which is symbolic of the Christian life. Listen to this. He says this. I saw in my dream that a very deep ditch lay on the right hand, the full length of the valley. It's the ditch which the blind have been led by the blind throughout the ages and where both have miserably perished. And then on the left hand was a very large and dangerous quagmire into which if a good man falls, he finds no bottom for his foot to stand on. This is the quagmire in which King David once fell and into which he would have been smothered if he who is able had not pulled him out. So here's the picture. In the Christian life, we need to be very, very careful because we're walking a very narrow path. And if we veer off the path in either direction, there's great and terrible danger. And so Bunyan says that if we're not careful, we could easily fall onto the slippery slope of false teaching, which is one side of the path. And then he says, if we're not careful, we could easily fall into the quagmire of sin that will ruin us, which is the other side of the path. So we need to walk circumspectly. We need to be on guard. We need to watch our step. We need to tread carefully in this Christian life or else we could slip and fall and you don't want to slip and fall because great will be your fall. Take heed how you walk. Walk circumspectly if you know what's good for you, spiritually speaking. In the garden, Jesus told Peter, James, and John to watch and pray lest they fall into temptation. What happened to them? They fell asleep. Too many Christians are asleep when they should be wide awake. In 1 Corinthians 10.12 it says, Therefore let him who thinks, who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The warning here is to be careful because if you're not careful, guess what? You're heading for a fall. Exodus 23.13 Be circumspect and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. So be careful because false gods and idols of the heart can easily sneak in and take the place of the true God. Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. So be careful and watch where you're going because it's easy to get sidetracked. So guard your eyes and guard your steps because sin is always ready to pounce and it's always ready to have its way with you. Deuteronomy 4.9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So be careful, because it's easy to get comfortable. It's easy 
to get complacent. It's easy to lose your first love and get caught up with this life and to push God out, which is foolish and which leads to a wasted spiritual life. Joshua 22.5 Take careful heed and to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments and to hold fast to Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So you need to be careful because it's easy to get sidetracked in this fading life and to forget what truly, truly matters. So, <clears throat> are you walking carefully? Are you walking circumspectly today in this minefield of life? Are you letting spiritual things slip? Are you looking at things you know you shouldn't be looking at, doing things you know are dangerous for your soul to do? Are you harboring a secret sin? Are you in the Word and are you praying as much as you know you ought to be praying in these trying times? Are you getting way too comfortable and way too complacent with your faith? Skipping when you should be carefully watching and walking. This is a firm warning for all of us here today. The second truth to note from this passage is to walk wisely. Not as fools, but as wise. The word for wise here is a Greek word, sophoi. The word for fool is the word ah sophoi, with the ah in front of it rendering it to mean the opposite of that which is wise, of that which is smart, of that which is intelligent. So the call here is to be smart instead of dumb when it comes to the Christian walk. To be wise instead of a fool. To be sensible instead of irrational, spiritually speaking. So first, don't be a fool. Now the height of foolish living is to deny God, right? Because as Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So the height of folly is to deny God and to refuse to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I mean, that has eternal consequences. That affects where you spend eternity and what's more important than that. Nothing, nothing is more important than that. So won't you surrender to Christ in repentant faith today and be saved from the wrath to come? That's the appeal. Look, Jesus is God the Son who came here and became a man, 100% man and 100% God at the same time. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose up from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. And everyone who believes in Him in true, saving, repentant faith, good news, they will indeed be saved from the wrath to come. Sin condemns all of us, but Jesus paid the death penalty for all our sins as believers on the cross. He became our substitute for sin. He died so that all who believe could live and go to heaven instead of hell. And by grace through faith in Christ alone, you can be saved from the eternal wages of all your sin. So again, won't you surrender? Won't you believe? Won't you repent and be saved today? Fools reject this soul-saving message. But then on the other side, the wise person is the one who fears God and who turns away from evil, Job 28, 28. So the wise person is the one who first turns to God in saving repentant faith and who then lives out that belief with action. One preacher said, when a person is saved, he's moved from the realm of foolish into the realm of wisdom. And that's correct according to the word of God here. And while we were once darkness, now in Christ, we are light in the Lord, and that moves us into the wisdom category. Now, 
What's interesting here is that Paul is no longer appealing to non-Christians like he was in verse 14. No, but rather, this is an appeal to Christians. Don't be fools, but be wise. What then is Paul saying to us here? He's telling us to protect ourselves spiritually speaking. He's telling you to make sure that you don't live like a Christian fool. That you don't revert to your old sinful ways. That you don't put on the old deeds of darkness, but instead you continually cast those dark deeds off day by day and you put on the new spiritual clothes that glorify God day by day by day. That's real Christian wisdom. Look, fools are casual and careless about their Bible intake while the wise ones are diligently and hunger are diligent and hunger for the word of god they they know it's their one authority in their lives so they live by the book and they love the book and they seek out ways to put it into practice why because they know that god's word is powerful it's living and it's active and it matures us and it grows us and it teaches us what we need to know about all things that are eternally valuable and and it leads us to god fools pray little They are haphazard. They're lazy. They don't believe it's all that powerful or all that effective while the wise ones pray fervently, passionately, and unceasingly because they know that God sovereignly works through the prayers, the passionate prayers of His people in an amazing way. And they know that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Also, look, fools put up with sin in their lives. They embrace sin. They make excuses for sin. They let it get a foothold in their lives. They, they cuddle it. They, they harbor it. And they don't seek to kill it every day. But the wise ones are those who see sin for what it truly is. A deadly enemy that can't ever be tolerated in us. Ever. So the wise ones battle sin. Every, every sin. They see everyone as a deadly enemy, and they hate it. And they fight all sin fervently every day until glory because that's what's needed for the God-pleasing life. What about you? From what we've seen so far in Ephesians, a wise soul knows God and His Word and continues to be a learner, head, heart, and life. The wise soul loves Christ with passion and it shows. The wise soul walks worthy and endeavors to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The wise soul uses his gifts to bless God and to bless the people of God. The wise soul edifies other believers. The wise soul puts off the old and continually puts on the new. The wise soul battles sin. He doesn't lie. He tells the truth. He guards his words. He puts away wrath. He forgives. He walks in love. He imitates Christ. He shares his faith. He protects his spiritual life from evil enemies. He makes sure his aim and his direction is clear. He gets up and continues on when he stumbles and falls. He doesn't get content with mediocrity. He stays humble. He stays focused on Christ. He lives with eternity in view. He walks wisely and for God's glory. And he knows that this isn't a a side issue. No, this is it. Are you foolish or are you wise? Look, this is the most important issue in your life. Your walk with God. Life is no plaything. Life is a precious commodity. It was given to you as the mightiest of possessions. And it's filled with 
massive responsibilities. And eternal things are at stake, including your soul. So what really matters? What really lasts? Only Christ and the things that honor Him. That's it. Only Christ. Everything else is vanity and it's chasing after the wind. Look, this world apart from Christ has nothing lasting to offer to you. Nothing. This world's joys are fading and fleeting. The world's goods, they all rust and they rot and they will never truly satisfy. This world is miserable and empty. What this world has to offer us leads to emptiness and to vanity in the end because Christ alone is the only one who can truly satisfy. The only one. Money can't, fame can't, other people, even your spouse or your child, they can't. Drugs and alcohol can't, sex can't, earthly goods can't. Nothing can truly satisfy and fill the void except for Jesus Christ alone who saves and forgives and rescues us and gives us true purpose and meaning and makes everything else seem meaningless because it is. Christ is your answer, your only answer for true meaning, purpose, and joy. Remember Solomon? In Ecclesiastes, Solomon had tried to find satisfaction through knowledge and wealth and material goods, through pleasures of music and art and women and houses and so many other earthly goods. But look, none of those earthly things brought lasting fulfillment because again, they can't. He concluded that all was vanity, all was meaningless. Solomon observed that even if you have all these things, guess what? You live for a few years and then you die. And so it's all futility. It's all a striving after the wind. And that's true apart from Christ. That's true. It's like a child chasing bubbles around. He grabs one and it bursts in his hand. He grabs another, but it bursts in his hand. So is the mindset of the unsaved, vainly chasing after bubbles that burst. Yes, apart from Christ, you can have a good job and marry a a nice spouse and have a nice car and accumulate many earthly goods and have some children and so on and so on. But then what? I mean, if you don't take God and eternity into consideration, what is really gained? You live a few years, you help a few people out, you live perhaps a decent life and then you die and then what? This is all going to vanish. It's all going to fade away. And apart from Christ, it all leads to hell in the end. What vanity! Look, again, only Christ matters. Only Christ has true lasting value. Only Christ. And wisdom says to consider these things. Some here today are going to ignore this. Some here today are going to ignore this, but why would you do that to yourself? Spurn the thing that can give you true peace and true joy. Ignore the thing that can truly fill that void that's making you miserable. Reject the thing that's going to lead to a truly meaningful life that makes even pain pale in comparison to Christ and and what He gives to us. Not just now, but for all eternity in increasing measure. Lord, I say, Lord, wake them up. Christ is the answer for you. And you owe it to yourself to take Him seriously today. This goes for all of us as well. We, we settle in. Anybody? We, uh, we think we're okay is good enough. We coddle sin. It's not going to hurt me. 
Doesn't Christ deserve more from us as his children that he died for to save? Judgment. No judgment. I'm not judging you. I'm judging myself. Just a challenge. And it's a challenge for all of us. The third great truth to note from this passage is this. To redeem the time. Other versions say making the most of the time, but it literally means to buy back or to buy out. This word was used of buying back a slave in order to set him free, which is what redemption is all about. So the idea is this, that we are to buy up all the time that we have, and we're to devote that time to the Lord. Life is short, eternity is long, and we are to use the time that we have left to live wisely and for the glory of God. Time really does fly by. Anybody? Anybody know that? It flies. One said, time is a strange commodity. We can't save it, retrieve it, relive it, stretch it, borrow it, loan it, stop it, or store it, but we can only use it or lose it. And he's absolutely right. In James 4, we find a people who are making plans without taking into account their own mortality and, and God's sovereignty, which isn't a Christian way to live. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. How true is that? I mean, we don't even know what's going to happen to us 10 minutes from now, let alone tomorrow, let alone next year. See, these people were arrogantly assuming that they would wake up tomorrow, that they would safely get to the city, that, that their business venture would be successful within a year, and that no one would rob them of their income. They were presuming all these things about an unknown future that they had absolutely no control of and no guarantees about. But look, each of us here could be gone tomorrow. So James says that life is short. Life is a vapor. Look, a vapor is very short-lived. You see, the mist at the moment and a few seconds later, it's, it's gone. You see the steam coming out of your coffee cup and in just a second it, it disappears into the air. Life is like that. In Psalm 90, Moses laments the brevity of life. He compares life to the grass of the field that sprouts in the morning and by evening it's faded under the hot sun. He writes in verse 10, As for the days of our lives, <laughs> sound familiar, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it's gone and we fly away. He's absolutely right. And even if you live to be a 100, how quickly life flies by. That's why Moses prays, so teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. And so the wise soul, the circumspect soul, he lives not for this life, not really, but for the next for that which lasts forever. And that's what Paul means when he says to redeem the time. Hey, we're all going to die. Most likely. Maybe not, but most likely we're all going to die. Jesus could come back. That would be awesome. But what are you going to do with the time you have left? You better make each day count. You better live without regret as much as possible. Better live daily for that which has eternal value. Robert Murray McShane said, life is vanishing fast. Make haste for eternity. And that's the call for all of us. J.C. Ryle said, years are slipping away and time is flying. Graveyards are filling up and families are thinning. Death and judgment are getting nearer to all of us. Awake! 
before it's too late. And he's absolutely right. So question, is time having its way with you? 1 Peter 1.17 says to conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Psalm 39.4 says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Don't you see? There's no assurance of tomorrow. And what you do for God is all that matters. Don't waste your life. No, redeem the precious time and make haste for eternity. Listen to this, Charles Spurgeon. Do not think that you're stable things. Fancy not that you're standing still. You are not. Your pulses each moment beat. The funeral marches to the tomb. You're chained to the chariot of rolling time. There's no bridling the steeds or leaping from the chariot. You are constantly in motion. Or this, he said, listen for one moment to the ticking of that clock. Everyone fell silent and the clock ticked. It's the beating of the pulse of eternity. It's the footsteps of death pursuing you. Each time, each time, I don't know why I'm crying. Each time the clock ticks, death's footsteps are falling on the ground close behind you. Time is flying. And wisdom says to redeem it. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to me just how I use it. I must suffer if I lose it, give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute. But eternity is in it. Think about this. The average human on earth lives to be about 80. That's about 960 months, about 29,000 days, or about 697,000 hours. Over a third of those years, days, and hours are spent sleeping. Think about that. An additional seven years will be spent trying to get to sleep. (laughs) True story. (laughs) On average, you'll spend just over 13 years of your life at work. Four and a half years of your life will be spent eating. On average, you will spend nearly eight and a half years watching TV. People will spend over three years on social media. I think that number's way off. I think it's growing every day. On average, you will spend five years waiting in lines with roughly six months sitting at stoplights. You'll spend over a year in the restroom. You'll spend a year looking for misplaced objects. On and on and on it goes. And suddenly, one day you're going to turn around. It's going to be over. Time will run out. Thus the call to wisely redeem it because it's precious. How do you redeem it? You glorify God where He has you. Purposefully and thoughtfully. Adrian Rogers gave this advice regarding time. He said, one, learn to live in the eternal now. Today is the only day you have. Redeem the time. Two, stop saying, if I had time, you do have time. Three, stop worrying about tomorrow and stop waiting for tomorrow. Give God today and God will take care of tomorrow. Four, cut yourself loose from the past. 
Bury your failure in the grave of God's forgetfulness and let him give you a brand new day. And I love that. He's right. Okay, how do we do that practically? Again, you glorify him today where he has you. Sleep is sleep, so a third of our life is gone. But what about the rest of our time? You honor God at work, you honor God at home, you get into the word more, you pray more because drawing near to Christ honors and pleases him. That has eternal value. What else? You serve others, you show them the love of the Lord. You serve in a ministry, you fight sin, you pursue Christ and and the glory of Christ, you represent Christ well right where he has you. Can I go on vacation and redeem the time? Yes, praise the Lord. Yes, of course. Thank him for the mountains and the ocean or wherever he has you. Honor him on vacation. Now, you can't redeem time when you're sinning, but you can redeem time even in the mundane things of life. It's probably best to not think in terms of minutes and hours or you'll get overwhelmed and depressed. So think in terms of days. Did I glorify God today? Did I redeem today for him? If not, could I have done better with the precious time that he's given to me? Think that. If, 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 if not, then move on. If so, then learn from it and honor God with the next day. See, serving him, drawing near to him, being in his word, praying, fighting sin, showing others Christ and what he's like, parenting in a, a God-honoring way, being a God-pleasing spouse, knowing that God is watching, sharing your faith, discipling others, especially your own children, and so on and so on. That's redeeming the time. I get the privilege of being able to visit Nancy Wagner every so often, and I think she's watching. Hi, Nancy. She can't leave her home, but she's part of this church body. She says, she worries about this. She says, what good can I do? How can I redeem the time when I'm stuck here at home? Guess what? She redeems the time for the glory of God. She does. She prays. You know what? She prays for many of you. And many of you don't even know it. But God knows. She seeks God day by day. She honors God however she can in her situation. And she's a prayer warrior. And God is pleased. What about you? What will you do? What will you give to eternal things? Question, how would you live if you only had a couple years left? I'm not talking about bucket list stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about making the most of your last two years of life for the glory of God and redeeming the time for Him. What would change? What would be different? Would you pray more? Well, I I hope so. Would you uh, study the Word of God more so you can know Him better? I I would hope so. Would you serve more people for Christ? Would your conversation be more Christ-centered? What would you do differently? Here's the issue. Shouldn't we all live like this even if we knew that we had 50 years left? And shouldn't these things be a part of our lives regardless of the length of our stay here? And isn't that what redeeming the time is all about anyhow? And then of course there's this, that none of us knows how long we have anyways. Because tomorrow we could be gone. So the call is to make the most of every day for the glory of God. Today. So, the call is clear. Redeem the time. It truly flies by, and the more we use our time for God and His glory, the more we use our time for the things that truly matter and the things that have eternal value, the better. Don't waste your life away. Redeem it. Be a faithful steward of the breath that God has given to you, every one. One said, your time is short, your task is great, 
Your master is urgent and your reward is sure. That's right. Fourth great truth to note from these verses is to remember that the days are evil. Evil indeed. It's interesting to note that the church in Ephesus was indeed facing evil times and the times would get worse. At the time that Paul wrote this, the church was surrounded by paganism, heresy, immorality, and the like. But not long after Paul wrote this, Rome would begin persecuting the church in Ephesus. Believers were soon being burned, thrown to wild animals, boiled in hot oil, and terribly brutalized for their faith. And the church was called to be strong in the midst of it, to live for Christ, to redeem the time, and to be a bright light against the backdrop of the dark and evil times that they were living in. See, the evilness of the day should motivate us even more to redeem the time. See? The word evil describes that which is actively harmful, hurtful, and wicked, as opposed to that which is good and God-honoring. The word is in the present tense, which means that this is a continuous evil, because again, this is the world that we live in. In 2 Timothy, it says that in the last days, perilous times will come. Well, guess what? We're in the last days. The last days refers to the time period between Christ's first coming and his second coming. This tells us that in this church age, there are going to be times that are going to be troublesome for us in Christ. And while these times may ebb and flow, it's generally going to get worse, especially the closer we get to the end of the end. And we're closer now than we've ever been, by the way. So yeah, it was evil back in Paul's day, but it's still evil today, even though it may look a little bit differently. I mean, Satan is indeed the god of this world, and the world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and the days are evil. Don't we know it? Therefore, in this present evil age, believers aren't to waste opportunities. Paul would feel very strongly about this, and although the evil plots against him caused his imprisonment for the sake of the gospel, look, he still used every opportunity he could to proclaim the gospel even while he was imprisoned. That's redeeming the time. And although believers are redeemed and are prepared for the days to come, we still live in evil and wicked times. And our call isn't to fear these times. Our call isn't to avoid these times. No, the exhortation here is to walk wisely in these evil and dark days and to seize this great opportunity that we have to shine. Hey, don't you want to be in the heat of the battle? Come on, come on. Don't, don't you want to be in the heat of the battle? I don't want to be a preacher where the light is bright. I want to be a preacher where there is great darkness. Because that's where we can shine the brightest in the midst of that darkness. Hello, California. Right? But, but what an opportunity for us to have an impact. So don't let the God of this age intimidate you. No. But take advantage of every opportunity in this immoral and dark environment to live the God-pleasing life. These days are evil, yes. They're going to get worse, I believe, yes. But oh, what a great opportunity to have an impact. So have an impact. Redeem the time. Share Christ. Shine His light. Share the gospel. Live the gospel. And walk like God calls you to walk more and more. I personally believe that we are living in very unique times. And look, God wanted us to be here Right now, in these times and in these days, for a reason. What a privilege. Let's shine 
and redeem the time and see what he does with us and through us. Again, what an opportunity and what a privilege. God wants us here in these days, in these times, right here for a reason. Lord, help us to redeem the time. Thomas Watson said, don't be like a body in an atrophy. No, be most violent at last. Yeah, but little time now to work for God, therefore work the harder. Your salvation is nearer now than when you first believe. And if it's nearer, your violence, your holy passion should be greater. And he's right. And mediocrity should be the last word to describe the Christian. Fire should describe us. Zeal, passion, urgency, fervency. That's what should describe us today, especially in these evil days. The fifth truth to note from this passage is to understand the will of God. Verse 17. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This takes us back to verse 15 where it says to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. He then says to redeem the time because the days are evil. And then he comes back around and says, therefore, or so then, don't be unwise. Don't be a fool. No, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How can we understand that? Well, the will of God that Paul is telling us to understand and comprehend and get a grasp on here isn't something that God is hiding from us. No, no. It's something that he has made known to us clearly already, or it's something that he's going to make known to us, which is exactly what Paul does in the next few verses, which we're going to look at next week. But Paul isn't talking about God's will regarding uh, a, a, a move you need to make, or how to invest your money, or what kind of car to buy. He's not talking about things like that. The will of God that Paul is talking about here is what God desires for all of his beloved children. And it's something that he's already revealed to us in his word. We're talking about what God desires for all of his children. And our call is to get a firm grasp on that so that we'll then do it. In context, the will of God is for you to walk circumspectly and to walk wisely. In context, the will of God is for you to hear and obey all the commands that Paul's already laid out for us here in Ephesians. Like what? Like walking as children of light. Like being good, righteous, and truthful. Like imitating Christ and walking in love and battling sin and pursuing holiness and putting on the new man day by day by day and putting off the old man and the things that are associated with the old life of sin. Like walking worthy. Like serving and using our gifts to bless the body. Like speaking words that edify and give grace and so on and so on. That's God's will. His word tells us, right? You could summarize it like this. The will of God for you to love God and to love others. Or you could summarize it like this, to glorify God. (laughs) That's the will of God. Or read the Bible. You'll find out what God wants for you, his child. In verses 18 through 21, Paul's going to get very specific with what God wants for us here in context. We're going to look at that next time. But the call here is to continue to learn what God desires from us that's found in his word and then to do it more and more. It's the same thing that Paul said in verse 10. Find out what's acceptable to the Lord. Same thing. See what Paul's doing? He wants us intently focused on God and on the things of God. Does anyone here do that like they ought to? Thus the continual reminder, right? Why do you think Paul has to say this again and again and again? He knows who he's writing to and we're part of that. These reminders aren't meant to bog you down in guilt. These reminders are meant to inspire you to keep pursuing these grand eternal things. 
Paul's saying, get focused, stay focused, and keep pursuing. Get up when you fall and keep going. Never quit. Keep pursuing because Christ and His glory is worth it. And there's no better thing than honoring Him with your fast and fading life. Amen? No better thing. May God speak to our hearts today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be a people who does Your will and who redeems the time. I pray, Lord, that we would live out these truths in our own lives and against the backdrop of all the immorality and the blackness and the darkness that that is going on around us, may we shine brightly, redeeming the time and having an impact. In the heat of the battle, knowing that it's not about this life, but the next. So help us. And I know we're all overwhelmed here trying to figure out how we can redeem every day for your glory. Help us to examine ourselves, to not get overwhelmed, but to pursue you and to pursue time redeeming more in our lives for your glory. Because we love you and because you are worthy. Speak to our hearts and encourage us with your word. And may we encourage one another as well. Bless us as we go out. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.